Welcome to freedom, becoming fully alive. What is your greatest fear? How real is God's love for you? Are you convinced, are you convinced that he not only loves you, but as a part of that love, he wants to take care of you. He wants to protect you. He wants to be your covering, your protector, your high tower, your place of safety, your refuge, your strength, your all in all. He wants to convince you of that today. And I pray that with his enabling grace and with his encouragement that you will be able to be free from the arrow of fear today. Let's pray. Lord, we do commit this time to you. Lord, thank you that your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness throughout the day. Lord, we just submit to you. We open our hearts to you. Love, Lord, you want us to be arrow-free. You want to pull out the arrow of pride and shame and fear and anger and depression and rejection. You want us arrow-free so that we can have a close and intimate relationship with you, able to receive your love and be able to love with your love. Lord, we commit this time to you today. Be honored, be glorified, be blessed, and may all be deeply encouraged. In Jesus' name, amen. We're so glad you're here. Welcome to the Freedom Series. We are in part two. It's a 21-session series overall, divided into three parts. And part two has as its title, Getting Your Whole Heart Back. Session number one was free from the message of the arrows. And then we went on to free from the arrow of pride. And then free from the arrow of shame. And now today, free from the arrow of fear. Fear is an issue of security. It's an issue of security. Let's look at some verses that are on your outline today. There are different levels of fear, different levels of intensity, intensity of fear. And let's look at some of the references to help us uh, understand that more fully. In 2 Timothy, the first chapter, verse 7, it says, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Or your translation may say, a sound mind. The Lord is all about that. Not a spirit of fear, not a spirit of timidity, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And then in Philippians 4, turning over to Philippians 4, verse 6, it says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then what happens? And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And then going on to Isaiah 41, Isaiah 41, verse 10. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And then Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43, verse 2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. And then verse 5, do not fear, for I am with you. Those verses are very significant and special to Mindy and me. Years ago, our family was on vacation in the Atlanta, Georgia area, Marietta, Georgia to be exact, where Mindy's sister and family live. And one day as a family, including our kids, and their kids, we went down the road, got on Interstate 75, went down the road to Cleveland, Tennessee. And we went whitewater 
rafting. We had not been whitewater rafting before. It was quite an experience. You get all, um, get the gear on, your helmet and your life vest and all of that, and then they have you sign some paperwork that has something to say <laughs> about releasing them from liability if you, if you die, <laughs> even, even taking it to that extent. Not just injury, but death. So we put our gear on, we signed the paperwork, and off we went. This was the Ocoee River, which happened to be the site of the 1996 Olympics. So this was definitely a legitimate whitewater rapid course, though they did upgrade it after we were there for the Olympics to make it even more dangerous and exciting. But on that day, we were going down the river, and there were different times where it really, uh, it really got exciting, and other times where the water was level and we'd get out and jump out of the raft and, and play and just kind of put our knees up and go down the river at a slower pace. So we were going along, having a great time, and uh, we decided to switch ends of the raft. And um, Brad and I, my brother-in-law, were, were in the uh, front of the raft, but then we went to the back and had the girls go up front, Mindy and Susan, and then we kept going. Well, we came to a point in our journey where it really got rough, the raft was really being tossed about, and the girls got thrown out of the raft. And fortunately, we had a very experienced guide. He knew exactly what to do. He was able to turn around and get back to Mindy and Susan quickly. I think, in fact, I think the other raft picked up Susan initially, and eventually we got her. But then we went back to get Mindy. Now, this, dis this didn't take very long, but while on our way, she was experiencing something that she was not bargaining for. She thought she was going to drown. Even with a life vest, when you've got the whitewater rapids going, if you don't have your head above water, even with a vest, you're in trouble. And she thought she was going to drown. The way she would say her body, she thought that her body was, was uh, starting to shut down. And she thought it was over. But it wasn't. We came, we retrieved her, we got her out. She thought her body was starting to go into shock, but we were able to get her out, get things stabilized. Everything was fine. We were making light of it a little bit, but it was very serious to her, and that told her. It, it sent her the message. I don't, think, I don't think anybody realized what I was really going through. So we talked about that and processed that a bit. But while we were, were away, while we were away, some friends back home uh, who were praying for us while we were away that didn't know we were going whitewater rafting. While we were away, they were praying for us, and the Lord gave them this passage, not necessarily understanding why that this passage was being laid on their hearts to pray for us. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, I will be, you'll not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. The Lord knew. The Lord knows all things. The Lord sees all things. He's the one with infinite knowledge and foreknowledge. And he laid it on their hearts to pray. So there were those praying into our safety, even in this way. And then the sovereign Lord protected our sovereign Lord, protected Mindy. So it was just another example of the Lord convincing us that he will take care of us. Going on to Proverbs 3.24. Verses 26, 24 through 26. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of a sudden fear, or your translation may say terror, nor of the onslaught of the wicked when it comes. And then Psalm 27, 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the refuge and the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And then uh, Joshua, the first chapter, I like it in the NIV. Joshua, the first chapter, where it says, Have I not commanded you? 
Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And then Proverbs 29, 25, the fear of man is a snare. And then, of course, a theme verse from a previous session, Psalm 91, Psalm 91, verses 1 through 5, Psalm 91, verses 1 through 5. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper or the fowler and from the dead, deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you, you will find and seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. You will not be afraid of the terror by night or of the arrow, the arrow that flies by day. As you hear these different levels of fear, what can you identify with? I've listed different flavors here. And as we go through this today, I just want to invite you to engage in, in this uh, session, so to speak. And uh, as you take notes, circle things, take note of things that you can really identify with. There's a level of fear that would be timidity. And these may not be perfectly progressive, but I've intended them to be somewhat progressive in their intensity. So timidity, uneasiness, disquiet or apprehension, agitation or anxiety, of course, fear in more of a general sense with specific application, of course, fright, dread, terror, horror, alarm, dismay, consternation, and trepidation. Some of these you may have heard and you may think you have kind of a feel for what they mean, but uh, let me unpack that a little bit. For example, what does dismay refer to in the, in the context of fear? Dismay is an apprehension that robs one of courage or the power to act effectively. Consternation is a state of being, uh, a state of paralyzing dismay characterized by confusion and helplessness. And consternation, excuse me, uh, trepidation refers to a dread characterized by trembling and hesitancy. So is your fear on a paralyzing level? Is your fear on a trembling or hesitancy level? Is your fear uh, one that robs you of courage or the power to act? Is your fear a panic? Is your fear a level of shyness? How would you describe your fear? To take this a step further, let's talk about examples. In the same way that I listed uh, over 30 examples of pride, I've listed over 30 examples of fear, and there are more, of course. But what I'd like you to do, there's a sheet in the back of your outline today that has at the heading, it has, Lord, free me from the arrow of fear. Free me from the arrow of fear. Did everyone get a copy of that? There should be a separate sheet there should be a separate handout with that heading. If you didn't get one, please make your way to the back because what I'd like you to do is uh, circle one or more examples that you can identify with and I'll ask you to do something about that later. Lord, free me from the arrow of fear. So just feel free to make your way to the back if you didn't get one of those sheets before. But let's start with fear of failure. And of course that could take different uh, that could take on different examples. And uh, that would be such things as uh, fear of getting fired, perhaps, or um, many different uh, examples of failure, things you're going to try, uh, try out for the track team, try out for a particular sports team, try out for band, try fill in the blank as a student, uh, a job situation. Uh, you're going to attempt something, 
and there's the fear of failing at it, or a fear of failing or getting fired in your job situation. And then there is the fear of success. Maybe you hadn't thought of that. Uh, we can easily identify with fear of failure, but uh, how many of us think of fear of success? Fear of success. Uh, how does that relate? That could be a situation where, well, if I'm going to try, and then I'm succeeding to a point, and things are going pretty well, and then at some point I'm afraid that this is going to be taken away. I'm afraid that I'm going to lose what I have attained. There is a, uh, along with that, it's just an example of how shame works. And we talked about shame last week, how that uh, so seeks to define us falsely. And if we begin to uh, see ourselves as a failure, uh, then we not only fear failure, but when we attempt things, we might fear success because it's so foreign to us. Success is foreign. I've heard the testimonies of, of golfers and, and uh, salespeople and others where there's a score involved, and let's say this person's out playing golf and he birdies the first three holes and things are going great, but he, he's just thinking, I'm not this good a golfer. I mean, this is, this is kind of scary. It's going too well. I mean, the bottom's going to fall out one of these holes, isn't it? And, and so often it does. And it, it just kind of, his game or his score eventually seeks the level of how he sees himself so often, he or she, as the case may be. So that relates to sports. It could relate to production in a business environment. You know, things are going well, but it's like it's going too well. Something's wrong. I mean, I mean, the bottom's going to fall out. Things are going to change one of these days. Something bad's going to happen. I mean, it just doesn't go this well for me. I mean, I just don't succeed at things. It's going too well. It's like we're afraid uh, for, in a sense, we're afraid for it to continue because it's foreign to us. We don't see ourselves as a success. We see ourselves in a negative light. So in some cases, there's a fear of success, and I think a false identity really contributes to that fear. Really being able to celebrate success and, and realize this, this is a gift from the Lord. You know, I can't make it happen. I can't keep it happening. I'm just going to take it as from you, Lord. And then there's the fear of rejection. And as we, as we go along, just make note of these and circle uh, on your outline, circle those uh, that you can identify with. Maybe you'll be able to identify with more than one. Fear of rejection. Fear of rejection, whether it be in relationship or applying for a job and not getting hired. Fear of death. Fear of dying. Sometimes people are beyond fearing death, but they're fearing now. They fear the, the way in which they'll die. It's like they've made peace with God. They know where they're going. Life in Christ, heaven to come. So it's not like they're afraid of death anymore, but they are afraid of how they might die. The way in which they would die. Fear of heights. Fear of the dark. Fear of crowds, fear of a small, confined space. I don't know about you, uh, I've never had one of those MRIs where you're in the tube. Wherever I've had, uh, uh, whenever I've had those kind of tests, uh, it must be more modern equipment where it's open-ended, you know. And I know the CAT scan, I think, is open-ended, but I think some of the more newer, uh, the more advanced equipment, I think it is open-ended anyway. But I've, I've heard of... This, this test, I think it's an MRI, where you're in the tube. And, uh, you know, I don't know how I'd feel if I was in there, but I don't think that would be my favorite thing. Uh, maybe it wouldn't be your favorite thing to consider as well. And, you know, you, uh, you think of more extreme examples of this where people sometimes are kidnapped and they're put in a box or a coffin and put underground six feet and there's an air tube to the coffin or the box and you know, that, that's more than a crowded elevator, isn't it? Uh, so that, that could definitely be a fear factor for some, for some people. Fear of going outdoors. Fear of abandonment. Fear of betrayal. Fear of an illness or a disease, especially uh, a terminal, a quote-unquote terminal illness. I mean, our faith is in the Lord, our trust is in the Lord, so even if medically it's called terminal, we're going to still be believing and praying 
But uh, cancer has become such an enemy of life, and sometimes when people get uh, cancer, it's almost immediately labeled as terminal, and uh, there's a fear factor that comes alive in that. But more and more, God is giving us examples in those that are testifying that they've been healed of that deadly disease. Because he is the one who is life, and he is the healer, Jehovah Rapha. Fear of injury, especially debilitating injury. You could be afraid of getting an injury, becoming injured and becoming paralyzed, something like that. There could be that kind of a fear. Uh, fear of uh, any negative or painful consequences. Fear of being judged. Fear of change. It's, uh, our lives become familiar and uh, sometimes we don't like change. Fear of flying going in airplanes, commercial airlines, or otherwise. Maybe commercial airlines are okay, but it's those small ones that uh, you'd be afraid to, to get in. Fear of danger, fear of being raped, fear of fire, fear of somebody breaking into your home, fear of tests. That could go many ways, but I'm thinking of exams. Fear of a, uh, an atomic bomb attack, fear of war, fear of terrorism. In this day and age of terrorism, a person could be afraid to go to certain public places for fear of a, of a bomb attack, a terrorist attack. Fear of harm or cruelty. Fear of doctors or dentists or their procedures. Fear of not fitting in. Fear of being kidnapped. Fear of poverty. Maybe you were born and raised in a um, poverty scenario and it was so painful because of all that was lacking and the embarrassment of it and the teasing that you took. People made fun of you because you were so poor. You lived on the quote wrong side of the tracks, that whole thing. You were labeled, you were categorized, you were criticized and you've come out of that and there's wounding with that and shame with that and embarrassment with that and, and a person could live in fear of being poor again. Or if you've been through the the depression or hard financial times. You could be afraid of being without. Or if you've lost your business or had a great financial loss, the same thing could contribute to your fear. And then there's the fear of intimacy, the fear of intimacy, a fear of getting close to people, fear of being, allowing yourself to be known by others, the fear of letting people into your life, the fear of sharing your heart, truly being honest or because of what they might say or what they might do with that. They might make fun of you, they might reject you, they may put you down. Different responses could be a part of that fear. The fear of man, which can have different applications, but the fear of man, which the Bible says, the fear of man is a snare. But when we fear man, it's important for us to see that the fear of man is really an issue of idolatry because we're giving someone a place that only God deserves. When we give people, places, or things more power, more influence, allowing them to have more effect on us than Jesus and who he is and who he wants to be to us, it is an issue of idolatry. In the psychological arena, they would call it codependency, but codependency biblically defined is really idolatry. And the fear of man is giving a place, a power, an influence that man really doesn't deserve. But when we give it to man because we're afraid of rejection or afraid of getting fired or afraid of that person being displeased to us, they just simply have more power than what God wants them to have to define us. I'd like you to look at the little picture in your outline today. It's the picture of the girl, the little girl. And in that picture, you'll see some things we've covered in previous sessions, such as pride, the arrow of pride, and guilt and shame. We've talked about guilt, both real and false. And then today, fear. When you see that picture, when you see that picture, can you identify with that little girl? Can you, what do you think she's experiencing? She's chained, and we see that even 
even in that table, there's significance in terms of what those legs are because those, do, those things do work in concert with one another. Uh, pride, pride is going to include thinking too highly of yourself, thinking too lowly of yourself, or thinking too much about yourself. So with pride, there's gonna be a preoccupation with self. You are always on your mind, which feeds fear, by the way. Because what you're afraid of, you'll tend to think a lot about, and that just empowers it more and more and more. So the poison of pride poisons all the arrows. And guilt and shame is so defining. And you can see that if you've had a traumatic event or something that's really imprinted you and have an, has had an effect in defining you, and because of that false definition, because of that false identity, because of how you see yourself or how you think others see, your, see you as well, that can be a setup for fear. So there's, there's a bit of a domino effect here. If we believe into ourselves, like I'm the sum total of my life's experiences or some part thereof, I'm really believing into myself. I'm not letting God have the last say. So we see as we believe into ourselves in that way, as we believe into a false identity, how that contributes or how it can contribute to fear. I think of the Israelites as they were getting ready to go into the land of Canaan and they went and scouted out the land and some of them came back and said, there's giants in the land, you know, we can't go in there. They were afraid, it was, it was a fear factor <clears throat> and yet, and yet the Lord labeled it unbelief and the Lord actually judged them to 40 days in the wilderness because of their unbelief. But as you read and listened to what they had to say, it sounded like it was all about fear. So we need to see that right at the essence, part of what fear can, can become is really not letting God have the last say, not believing that he is going to take care of me, not allowing him to take care of me. And we see that pride gets in the way of believing and a false identity, a false conception of who we are gets in the way. And you can see it just contributes to the picture of fear. I'd like us to pause for a moment and uh, consider those examples of fear that we've talked about so far and circle those that you can identify with and then write down any notations in terms of how you can identify with this little girl and what you think is going on in that picture. And uh, let's just pause for a moment and consider that before we go on. As we look at the picture of the little girl, and it could be a little boy, it makes no difference, what I see in that picture is a fear, a fear factor. There's light on the other side of the door. One thing that that light, we could say that light represents is the Lord in terms of a fear of intimacy, not the proper fear of the Lord because the proper fear of the Lord is a holy reverence and fear of God and making him the reason that we do what we do or don't do is the case. Walking in humility and the fear of the Lord is Agree with God and make him the reason that we do what we do or don't do. So that would be a proper fear of the Lord, a, a holy fear, if you will. But then there would be an unhealthy fear that would have to do with a fear of intimacy. Because of her shame, it's like she doesn't want that light to get too close. That light is on the other side. But that light is what will set her free. But if we're trusting in ourselves, believing in ourselves hanging on to false guilt when in fact we're forgiven, and that would be shame, and we are afraid because of our unbelief, and again our misbelief, we are not going to let that light in. So what I want to do during our remaining time is talk about how to be free from our fears, how to be free from this arrow of fear. And let's turn to uh, Psalm 34. Psalm 30, 34, 4. Where it says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me 
from all of my fears. That's good news. Seeking the Lord. And he just so desires to pull out this arrow of fear. Many different reasons how this arrow has become a part of our lives. But this arrow, like all the arrows, is an, it's an enemy. It's an enemy of intimacy. Just like in this picture of the little girl, an enemy of intimacy. So how are we going to get free? Well, number one, we need to face our fears. Who or what do you fear? It reminds me of a TV series years ago. It was a detective series. And on this one episode, these people kept mysteriously driving off this mountain road to their demise. It was in the West Coast area, California, California area, and uh, by the ocean there, there's uh, you know, the beautiful homes up in the mountains, and you take these uh, paved roads, paved mountain roads up to your residence. And as these people were heading up the mountain, so to speak, they would mysteriously, and it always happened at night, they would mysteriously drive off the side of the road, tumble down the mountain into the ocean to their demise. So this detective got involved, and I'll just fast forward and come to the point where he figured out what was going on. And here we have the scene where he and his partner are going down the road at night, and um, they're going, as they're going down the road, they see these headlights straight ahead. And uh, he's going, you know, 50 or 60 miles an hour. And there he is. It's, it's a straightaway at that point. And there he goes. And he gets closer and closer and closer to this oncoming set of headlights. And his partner is wondering, you're going to slow down, aren't you? Uh, you're you're going to turn, aren't you? Um, but he didn't. He kept going straight ahead, fixed on in perfect alignment with the oncoming headlights. So there we have the scene that the headlights are just right there. And then there's a big crash. And the mirror breaks. The mirror shatters. So what was going on is someone was putting a giant mirror over the highway. And this someone was killing certain people. Because if you put a mirror up, then they drive home. They think they're going to have a head-on collision. So they turn. They panic. They turn. They lose control of their car, and they die. And that was the goal of this person that was doing this. This uh, was involved in this evil activity. But this detective figured it out. And when I, saw, when I, I was thinking about that episode in recent times, and how that relates to the very thing we're talking about today. Because I think so often we have fear right ahead of us. The fear is so real. And we tend to turn away from it. And we tend not to face it. But um, what we need to see is that in the Lord, in the Lord, even if it's real, even if we do die, I mean, if that really is what happens, because, you know, it's not going to help us. You, you've heard people say it this way. Most of the stuff you're afraid of never happens. I mean, you've heard people say that. So in other words, conclusion, don't worry about it. But that's not going to help us. Those statistics aren't going to help us. Because we're going to tend to focus on, well, I might be the 1%. I might be the 5%. No, it probably won't happen, but it might happen to me. And there's, there's the grip right there. There is the fear hook right there. So what we need to do is settle it at the extreme. We need to face it. And facing it can take different things. For example, there was a time in my life where certain things were going on. It was early on in my time of being pastor here. And somebody was unhappy with me. And they seemed to have favor with the senior pastor at that time. So what was on my radar screen was, if they get the senior pastor upset enough, I might get fired because they're unhappy with me. And coupled with that, the enemy was attacking me and bringing into question 
whether I should even be here and bringing into question whether I was even wanted by the people of Trinity Church, but the Lord guide, guided and led and helped me face my fear head on. I hit that mirror head on and shattered it. And here's how I did. I settled it at the extreme. When you settle things at the extreme, then everything short of the extreme will be settled. And here's what I settled. I thought, Lord, I'm not going to have an independent spirit. I'm not going to trust in myself. If somebody's unhappy with me, it's not like I'm not willing to change. I know I'm not unteachable. I'm teachable. I'll turn on a dime if I see something I need to change. I'm under authority. I'm under your absolute authority. I'm under delegated authority. I'm not going to do my own thing. I'm not an independent spirit. But I've got to counsel what I believe you want me to counsel in those situations. I can't compromise. I can't give in to fear of man. That's pride. That's idolatry. I must obey you. And if it means I get fired, then I'll just take it as a promotion. Then you've got something else for me. I wasn't taking anything lightly, but I had to settle at the extreme. And then with the whole issue of whether I was wanted or not, the Lord made the issue, I want you here. Even if nobody else wants you here, let's take it to the extreme, Steve. Nobody else wants you. Let's say that's true. That wasn't true, but let's make it true. I want you here. Case closed. So I settled at the extreme. I faced my fear of losing my job. I faced the issue of whether I was wanted or not. What do you fear? Who do you fear? Number two, how has this affected you? What have your thoughts been? What have your feelings been? If it'll help, begin to write these things out. How have you responded to this fear? How, what have you said? What have you done? What have you decided? Maybe you've been hurt in the past. Maybe you've been wounded. You've been offended. Have you decided, I'm not going to let anybody get close to me again? I'm not going to get hurt again? If you make a statement like that, in some cases, it's like it's even a vow. Nobody's going to hurt me again. That's a statement of control. We've got to give up, We've got to give up control. Let me, let me encourage you to settle something else at the extreme today. Agree with God. You will get hurt again. You will. Someone will hurt you again. I guarantee it. Embrace it. And if it happens, pray that God uses it for your good, your growth, and your maturity. He will, if you let him, settle it at the extreme. You will be betrayed. Before you die and go to heaven or before Jesus comes again, you will be betrayed. Someone will be disloyal to you. Someone will let you down. It will happen because we live in a fallen world and we live with imperfect people. There's only one that's perfect. And God allows it for our good. The Lord showed me something years ago that's been invaluable to me. Whenever I'm going through something I don't like, he reminds me, he reminds me, you need this. Not because he's trying to make life hard on me. Not because he's trying to punish me or play around with me. No. I need it. Apparently, I need it. I'm operating from the premise that if God is allowing it, I need it. Maybe you don't, but I do. I'm not trying to universalize that, but if he's allowing it in my life, I need it. To be broken more, to see more of pride, idolatry, or something he wants to show me, something he wants to do in me, something more he wants to do for his glory, to mold and shape me into his image, when you settle things like this at the extreme, then everything short will be settled as well. This is very similar. This process is very similar to processing the issues of your heart in a way that leads to forgiving. I hope you see some similarities here. Number four, pour out your heart to the Lord. Tell Jesus all about your fear. Express thanks to the Lord. What? Express thanks? Are you crazy? Expressing thanks for this fear? Come on now. Express thanks to the Lord, because as you do, you're submitting to his sovereignty. You're submitting to his lordship. Ask him to deliver you from this fear. Uh, I noticed a correction on your outline there. It should be uh, 1 Thessalonians. It doesn't even have first on there. It should be 1 Thessalonians 5.18. So please make note of that. 1 Thessalonians 5.18.
In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. And then Psalm 116. Let's go to Psalm 116. Psalm 116, verse 17, where it says, To you, referring to the Lord, I shall offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call upon the name of the Lord. And then a verse or a passage that goes in, uh, in keeping with what I'm uh, trying to communicate right now, and that would be uh, Philippians 4, Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is a key component, giving thanks for the fear. We get so obsessed with the fear. We want, to be, we want, we want the issue to be gone. We want it off our radar screen. We don't want it to be an issue anymore, but we need to face it. We need to hit those headlights straight on, not turn away. Not panic to the side. Hit that mirror head on. The Lord will be there. The Lord will provide. And we've got to let him be in control. We've got to let him just surrender ourselves into his care. I can remember one time uh, before coming back from Phoenix, Arizona on a trip, uh, I was convinced, I mean, I really felt like I was going to die the next day on the plane. I mean, that was real. I called Mandy up, we talked, we prayed. I said, I think the enemy is attacking me. I feel like tomorrow the plane's going to crash. I feel like I'm going to die. I don't want to die. I really don't want to die. Let's pray. We prayed, and it didn't go away. We prayed. I took authority over the enemy. It didn't go away. But then I meditated more on him, and I just realized at 33,000 feet, I'm in his hands, and I couldn't be in better hands. And I won't live a minute longer than he says. You see, it's a control issue. This fear thing is a control issue so often because it's kind of like we're afraid something's going to happen, but we forget our heart will not beat again unless he says so. We will not take another breath unless he says so. We are at his mercy for every second, every second, every millisecond. But we forget that. We forget that. We forget how dependent we are. We forget that he is actively involved. You know, he doesn't just create us. Okay, I got you created, and whoosh, there you go. See in heaven. No, it's, uh, it's, you know, wind you up, and I hope you last. No, it's, it's, but he is actively involved in breathing into our lives and cultivating our lives and shaping our lives and, he is not just watching from a distance. He is actively involved in us, Christ in us, the hope of glory. But we forget that. And I think that kind of sets us up because it's like, yeah, we know all this, but you know, I better be super responsible. I better do this. I better do that. I better, you know, and then we just obsess on all these things as if it depended upon us. And no, we shouldn't be irresponsible. But how many times can you check the door? How many times can you check the lights? How many times this? How many times that? There's no end to it. When will we let him take care of us? Oh, yes, I know what contributes to us. If we've been betrayed and abandoned and abused and he let it happen, where were you? You didn't take care of me when I was being sexually abused by my dad, my grandpa, or my uncle. And if you didn't take care of me there, how could I possibly think you'll take care of me at 33,000 feet? I probably will die. We've got to get that settled. And part of facing our fear is going through this process, and maybe God is the one we process. Tell him all about it. Where were you? Where were you? Why did you let that happen? Why did you let my mom die? Why didn't you heal her of cancer? Why this? Why that? Why did you let me be abused? Tell him all about it. He's a big God. He can handle it. Get it out. Get the poison out. And I pray that we can come to the point of giving thanks. And forgive everybody we need to forgive. Why is, why is that so important to forgive? Because as long as we have a have unforgiveness, we are tied to that person that could be falsely defining us, and that contributes to our picture of ourselves, our identity, and our identity affects how we see life. 
Because if you see yourself as a hired hand and not a favored son or a favored daughter, it's going to affect how you relate to God. You're not going to be prone to believe him. <laughs> if you're a son or a daughter versus a hired hand or a servant girl, it affects what you ask. It affects how you believe. It affects how you trust. Because if you don't think you deserve anything, what are you going to be asking for? What are you going to be believing for? What are you going to be expecting? I didn't say presuming or demanding. Cancel the debt. Sever the tie so that nobody is defining you but the King of kings and Lord of lords. And then submit to God and resist the devil because it may be a spirit of fear. It may be demonic. And you may have opened the door in a variety of ways. You could have opened the door for a spirit of anxiety, terror, fear, some form of fear by occult activity. You could have opened the door through messing with a Ouija board innocently, getting into tarot cards, astrology, having your palm read. You could have opened the door innocently. Or you could have been even more proactively involved in occult practices. It doesn't have to be Satanism, but if it has been, repent, renounce of any activity or false religion. What's a false religion? Any religion. Any religion. Here's the key that separates all. Here is the distinctive key. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. He is the only true God, the only one. Mormonism would say, yeah, he's God, but you can be one too. But here it is. Repent of any false religion. Repent of any, even if it's generational and you never really bought in, but it was in the family. Renounce it. Take authority over that. That the demons of the generations will not be visited upon you. That the strongholds, that the sins of the generations will be free from you. Be it in um, the Masonic belief system or the Shriners and that whole thing, or whether it's false religion related to things like Jehovah Witnesses or Mormonism or any of that kind of stuff, or occult practices, that is not who we are. That is not the way, the truth, and the life. Repent, renounce, cut it off. Not just repenting, renouncing, disassociating, disconnecting, gone, severed, not who I am. Cut that off because among other things, that could be an inroad to the enemy and part of the manifestation could be is fear. You can open yourself up to a spirit of darkness through certain kinds of music, certain, uh, things like drugs, alcohol, things like that. And I'm not just talking about going and having a beer, but I'm talking about when you open yourself up and it becomes uh, something that's got more control over you than you have over it. Uh, it's, it's, it's idolatry. And then drugs, of course, like marijuana and cocaine and all that kind of stuff. I mean, you're just, you might as well be putting a sign up, demons welcome. So you're going to open yourself up. But that's curable. Repent, renounce, be free. And then if you have been slimed by a spirit of witchcraft, a spirit of control, or a spirit of Jezebel, one of the effects of that spirit can be fear. And I did a session here several weeks ago on uh, breaking the unholy alliance of Ahab and Jezebel. The tape is on the table. So submit to God. Notice the order. Resist the devil. In other words, offense. Offense. Put on the armor. Don't just resist, resist, resist. Avoid the darts. No. Put on the armor of God, the, the helmet of salvation. Jesus is your salvation. The belt of truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Gird up your loins with the belt of truth. The shield of faith, quenching all the fiery darts of the enemy. The breastplate of righteousness. He is our righteousness. The sword of the spirit, the word of God, living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, and shodding your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. He is our preparation. He is our readiness. That is offense. That's not just avoiding arrows. Let's, let's go for it, and the gates of hell will not prevail against us. We can be warriors, mighty warriors, not passive. We must engage but not like we're fighting on our own, but it's the name of the Lord. The name of the Lord is a high tower. The name of the Lord is a high tower, and the righteous will run into it and be free and, and escape and, and be safe. It's the name of the Lord. It's the name of Jesus. It's the blood of the Lamb. Not our own authority, 
but it is he who delivers us. And cast all your cares on him, like it says in 1 Peter 5, 7, for he cares for you. He has not given us a spirit of fear, but a peace, love, and a sound mind. What is the antidote? The verse that really describes the antidote is uh, on the cover sheet of your outline today. Perfect love, perfect love. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. Receives God, receive God's perfect love and allow him to take care of you. Sometimes we think, well, the opposite of fear is, I need more courage. I need to gear it up. The antidote, the antidote to fear is revelation of his love, which includes the revelation that he's going to take care of you. Because think about it. When we yield to fear, when we succumb to fear, we are not living like we believe he is going to take care of us, that he is who he says he is. And even if he allows us to die, even if he allows us to die, we know we're going to be with him. Even if he allows the unthinkable, we know he's going to take care of us. Even if he allows the very thing that we fear, we can take authority of it, we can pray, but if he allows it, He'll be there. He'll comfort us. He'll provide. When Barb Martin lost her husband, the Lord ministered comfort to you. When my dad died in a plane crash, the week after his death was the most peace-filled, tranquil, spirit-filled, peace-filled, Christ-present-filled week of my life, the Lord provides. Did I want it? No, but he'll meet you in the place of your fear. He'll meet you in the place of your need. He'll meet you at that mirror where you hit it head on, and he'll be there. He'll be there. He'll not leave you nor forsake you or abandon you. What I'd like to do in closing, after I close in prayer, I'd like to give you an opportunity for you to come forward with this sheet of paper that has all the 31 examples of fear, and I'd like you to circle the ones that apply to you and write any ones that aren't on there, and I'd like to invite you to come forward and... Um, I'll give you further instructions in just a moment, but let me close in prayer. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you, Lord, for de-fearing us, Lord, for pulling the arrow of fear out today so that we can be free to receive your love, give your love, and have greater intimacy with you and one another. There's great purpose in this, Lord. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name.